Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Sports Day for Toolmart, the complete tool center, serving WA for over 40 years. Yes, uh, happy Labor Day for people right throughout Perth and Western Australia. I hope you've enjoyed your long weekend. It's been uh, fairly mild today, hasn't it? Uh, blue skies, sunshine and the maximum temperature certainly in the CBD in around about the mid-20s and around the mid-20s also through the southwest, I believe down in Albany, for those people listening uh, down there, about 20 degrees was your maximum today. And for most of the day, it was in the high teens. I'm not ready yet for the weather just to cool down, but I believe the next couple of days it's going to warm up a fraction. I'll give you details of the weather a little bit later on. Great to have you on the program, uh, wherever you may be listening, uh, and we are here for Kia, the award-winning seven-seat Kia Sorento, and Toolmart, the complete tool centre serving WA for over 40 years. Coming up later on, I'll be speaking to the leading football rider for the West Australian. He's been there for many years Craig O'Donoghue, because he's been part of the build-up to the AFL season. He's viewed both practice matches involving Fremantle and West Coast and also the match simulation the week before, and has got all the latest news. But I wanted to speak to Craig O'Donoghue as well about the umpiring situation, the fact that we're about to see four umpires in the AFL, because he umpired in the WAFL for 20 years, did Craig O'Donoghue. And also I'm going to talk to him about the bounce. Because people like Dean Margetts and others have suggested that, and this is people in the AFL, that the inability of certain people to bounce the ball is deterring them from actually taking up the profession of AFL or Australian rules umpiring. Now, I'm going to start by asking Craig that question. Does he honestly feel if you can't bounce the ball properly, that is the major deterrent on why you don't want to be an umpire. So that's coming up a bit later on. But for me, one of the real exciting aspects of the weekend, and it'll come up in the top five for Novus. Uh, we're about to roll those. Novus, of course, there's one near you, 13-22-34, is that there was a brand-new national team that entered the Australian sporting framework this weekend. And we're talking about the Dolphins in the NRL and Wayne Bennett. Together with probably Craig Bellamy, you think Wayne Bennett would be just in front. Two all-time legends of the NRL coaching stakes. They have been just outstanding. Wayne Bennett, who is in his early 70s, still can wield the magic. And whatever he does, his players play for him. And he's been around a long time. And in the likes of some of the aged coaches in other sports, Sir Alex Ferguson when he was at Manchester United, you know, he is in his early 70s. 
and he's trying to educate and he's talking to players in their 20s, early 20s, a lot of them. And then all of a sudden on the weekend, the Dolphins came out in a history-making debut in the NRL and they beat the Sydney Roosters, one of the strongest clubs in the competition. And the Roosters are one of the most powerful brands in the NRL as well. So that'll feature in our Novus top five at five. Novus, there's one near you, 13-22-34. Uh, Let's roll into the top five now. Number five. Long Zuha, most likely to fly over the top of the pack. Cam Zuha taking to the sky. Well, North Melbourne forward Cam Zuhart could miss the start of the season after scans revealed he suffered a calf strain in Saturday's practice match against the Bullies. Uh, the 24-year-old was withdrawn from the game at halftime after reporting calf tightness and would be monitored in the lead-up to the Kangaroos' season against the West Coast Eagles. Number four. And the world champion picking up where he left off in Abu Dhabi. Max Verstappen wins the Bahrain Grand Prix. Yes, and it's a Grand Prix and a season without Daniel Ricciardo, the boy from Dunkraig. But the Formula One is back, but it was the same old story. At the 2023 season opener, Max Verstappen, as you heard, cruised to victory at the Bahrain Grand Prix. The two-time reigning champion led from start to finish in an ominous indication he's on track for a third straight title. His Red Bull teammate, Sergio Perez, finished second. But rounding out the podium was Fernando Alonso, who was making his debut for Aston Martin. Australia's Oscar Piastri, who in some ways replaced Daniel Ricciardo, had a nightmare debut for McLaren, with engine failure forcing him to retire from the race on lap 15. Number three. Now, Katoa sees an opportunity. Kafusi, Lee, out wide they go. Marshall King takes it out the back. Through the hands, Tabua Fido. Oh, he's unmarked. Tamina Sarko will go in for his second try. And the Dolphins go further in front. And Suncorp Stadium erupts. Oh, it did erupt. There was about 33,000 in at Suncorp Stadium. They made a hell of a noise. And the Dolphins have put the NRL on notice with that fairy tale start in that dazzling 28-18 comeback win over the Sydney Roosters. Uh, we'll talk to Scotty Sattler from uh, Brisbane in just a moment to go through the Dolphins and all the euphoria regarding the brand-new national sporting team on the Australian landscape. Number two. Salah! It is six! Salah! Roberto Firmino! It's seven. Liverpool seven, Manchester United nil. I don't think in my time I would have seen a scoreline like that. It just was unbelievable with the Manchester United travelling to Anfield and with so much at stake being defeated by seven goals to nil. Have a listen to what their manager, Eric Ten Hag, had to say actually after the match. Uh, the result is quite obvious. It's unprofessional. So and then it's 3-0. Then it's the game loss. But uh, then as a team, you have to stick together. And that is what we didn't do. And uh, that was a surprise for me. I haven't seen this from my team. 
and uh, I don't think it's us. I don't think it's Manchester United. So um, it's really bad and poor. Yeah, it was really bad and it was really poor, suffering the club's worst defeat since a 7 0 loss to Wolverhampton Wanderers back in 1931. Have a listen to what one of the Manchester United commentators had to say about the performance. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the United Stand. Manchester United have just lost 7-0 to Liverpool. Um, there are many words to talk about where it went wrong, why it went wrong, what this means for the future. Uh, one thing I want to say from the very off is that this cannot be, if you're a United fan, this cannot be one of those days at the office. One of those days at the office are where you lose 1 or 2-0 and you didn't play well. 7-0 is stunningly... Um, it's not one of the days at the office. It's an absolute disgrace. Um, and, and the reason it's stunning is because I don't think that that should never happen. That should never happen. 7-0 is downing tools, completely losing self-respect for yourself, your teammates, your fans, your manager. It is absolutely shite. Absolutely shite. I had to edit out a couple of shites there. <laughs> uh, right at the end, you heard him say shh. And then there was a bit earlier that I had to edit out as well. Uh, they are going mad. I reckon uh, Manchester, particularly the red corner of Manchester, would be in complete shock. Okay, let's uh, finish with number one. Number one. Acapulco has a new champion. And it's a first trophy at this level for Alex de Menor. What a Herculean effort it's been from Tommy Paul. But the Australian was just a little too strong. And that's why he has his hands on an ATP 500 title for the first time in his career. Yeah, well done to Alex Demon. I think that uh, deserves special uh, mention claiming his uh, Mexican Open final to also, as you heard, get his maiden ATP 500 title. He downed American Tommy Paul. He took uh, care of Holger Rune in the three-set epic in the semis. Then Demon Orr looked down and out in the final after going down in the first set, but he clawed his way back uh, from one set down. He won the second set 6-4 and then cruised to victory in the third set 6-1. So well done to Alex Dimonor. And I think now that takes his ranking to inside the top 20. I think it's about 18. So he's certainly on the way up. And that was a significant victory in Acapulco earlier today. It's uh, 10 past five and you're listening to Sports Day WA with Peter Vlaos. You can join us anytime on the Tempera Bedshed text machine 0487 736 736. Uh, Bedshed are experts in temper mattresses, pillows and adjustable bases. Check the range of temper products in store or visit bedshed.com.au. Now, do you remember when Luke Beveridge from the Western Bulldogs actually cut loose on a journo? I think it may have, was it Shane McGuinness actually at the press conference? Anyway, cut loose. Oh, it was Tom Morris. Is he sort of making a resurgence? Anyway, um, it was I remember Shane McGuinness. I know Shane McGuinness was towelled up by Ross Lyon, wasn't he? Yes, I used to work with Shane. Uh, but that sort of there was that sort of situation at the Dolphins press conference after the Dolphins beat. The Roosters. I'm going to feature that when I speak to Scotty Sattler next here on Sports Day WA. 
Sports Day. Fix Toolmart, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 40 years. Great to have you company here on this Labor Day long weekend. Peter Vlahos with you here on Sports Day WA. All thanks to our friends at Toolmart who get the right tool from the start. And, of course, uh, Kia, the award-winning seven-seat Kia Sorento. I was really intrigued with this on the weekend. Nothing like a refreshing story when it comes to sport. And I'm a great admirer of Wayne Bennett. I'm a great admirer of what he did in his days at the Broncos and at South Sydney Rabbitohs. And, of course, last year was preparing the Redcliffe Dolphins uh, for yesterday or this weekend when they made their debut in the National Rugby League competition. And they took on one of the giants of the NRL, one of the real big brands of the NRL, the Sydney Roosters, who are owned by millionaire, billionaire, almost Nick Politis. So it was a big and almost a David versus Goliath, even though the game was in the backyard of the Dolphins. But nobody would have thought that they would have recorded the victory that they did. Come from behind victory as well. Scotty Sattler, of course, has played rugby league uh, predominantly on the Gold Coast uh, and in Queensland, but made his name, as we know, playing over 100 games for the Penrith Panthers. Even though he was born in New South Wales, I know he's Queensland through and through now, and he's part of the SEN Queensland uh, broadcast team. Scotty, thanks for your time. Hey, Pete. No worries. Yeah, you're right. It was a momentous day for rugby league, introducing a, a 17th team. And um, there were many that, that thought that uh, the Dolphins probably wouldn't have the capacity to, to beat someone like the Roosters. But when you break it all down after the game now, it, it shouldn't surprise, surprise us because, as you said, you're a great admirer of Wayne Bennett. And, um, and back in 1988, he... He brought the Brisbane Broncos into the competition and they beat the, the Premiers, the Manly Ringer Seagulls, by 40 on their very first their very first game at Lang Park that night, that day in 1988. So it shouldn't surprise us that he gets a team up for these sort of uh, clashes. I've got to play you this audio before we talk more about the occasion. Uh, there was the after-match press conference and Wayne Bennett in his early 70s got a bit frosty with one particular reporter who accused him of not being there the week before in a trial game, reportedly. And this is what uh, Wayne Bennett had to say. Maybe you can shed, Scotty Saddle, a bit more light on why this eventuated. Is that the standard, Wayne, for the Dolphins now? Is that where you build this club from? Are you still looking for me? <laughs> you here? Hey? You here? Well, I went to Cairns. You were looking for me. Gotcha. <laughs> I, text, I texted you. Well, I'm not sure I want to answer your question, mate, because you haven't had the decency to wing me about it. So. Oh, God. Wait, well, you made me a headline over it, but, you know, because... I did you, ask you, you where you were. Yeah, well, no, because you, you didn't bother to ask me where I was. And you went on your little trip and had your say, well, you know, you can't just give it, mate, and not take it. I love it. I love it. Uh, so he just put this reporter back in his place. Tell us about the background of all this, Scotty. Oh, so they played a trial, their very first official trial in Cairns. The, uh, the Dolphins did against North Queensland Cowboys. And, um, and Wayne didn't go to the game. He just he left the responsibilities up to his assistant coach, Christian Wolf, who's going to take over in year three from Wayne Bennett. So this is what Wayne does. He, he allows the, the assistant coach to to have a fair bit of input 
Um, many think it's, it's a weird tactic, especially when it's a brand new team and you're not there for the trials. And, um, you know, I personally think that for a new franchise, you, the head coach needs to be there because you've got young players wanting to impress him. They want him, they want uh, Wayne Bennett to see them the way they prepare and try and impress him. And, but, you know, all that aside, Wayne Bennett's got a memory like an elephant. So uh, he would have remembered the journalist. He would have remembered his name. He would have remembered his face. He would have put that in the mental Rolodex. And when given the opportunity, uh, it's a two-pronged approach as well uh, with what he's done after the first game. Many have thought of thinking, oh, don't make this about you, Wayne. This is, this is about the Dolphins for their first win. But it's, it's more to the point is that Wayne's sticking up for the club and himself and, his, and what the club is going to stand for. And, and on the field, they're going to try and compete as, as good as anyone. Off the field, I'm going to be a coach that's going to, I'm going to stand up for my players, my club, and everything that it represents. So it's a real bit of a, like a, a line in the sand moment about how the media need to, to deal with the Dolphins moving forward. Mm. Well, he is 73, and I know when the journo said I text you, well, Wayne's probably one of these old fashioned guys, doesn't read texts. Uh, he prefers the old fashioned phone call. But moving on, there was nearly 33,000 at Suncorp yesterday. Uh, Tell us about the occasion and certainly when the Dolphins ran out for the first time. Uh, judging from what I've heard, uh, highlights and all that, they made a heck of a noise. Yeah, they did. 32,000. I've got to say, it's a good crowd for rugby league and, and you should be happy with it. I thought there would have been more because Queensland is, you know, when it comes to rugby league, it's, uh, it is the most followed sport uh, in Queensland. But in saying that, you you'd have 32,000 any day of the week. And they were very vocal. A lot of Rooster supporters there as well, but mostly Dolphin supporters. And just a, from a, a geography, uh, for a geography uh, lesson, Redcliffe is like, uh, if you're in the Brisbane CBD, it's about a 45-minute drive north. And you've got to go across a big bridge. You've got to, it's it's a, right on the peninsula as you head to the Sunshine Coast. And, um, you know, it's it's... A, a lot of people that attended the game as well, not just Redcliffe and, and the Moreton Bay region supporters. There's also people that are true rugby league fans that love the Broncos, that want to go and support another Brisbane team as well. But outside of that, there's a lot of people in southeast Queensland that actually don't like the Broncos. Uh, they don't like what they represent, and and they're the they're the supporters that are looking for another team to support in southeast Queensland if they're not Gold Coast Titans fans. But um, there was another Brisbane team back in 1995 through to 97. And due to the Super League ARL war, the South Queensland crushes back then, they were, they were lost. They were um, taken out of the competition. So uh, another team from South East Queensland, that's four teams now. And, um, and to be quite honest, I think in four or five years' time, you could probably put another team in South East, South East Queensland or Queensland somewhere. So... Uh, but 17 teams is what it's going to look like for a number of years now, and I'm glad we got to this point because, um, you know, it's it's a, a momentous day, like we said earlier on, for mm. rugby league. Well, let's say we see it one day here in Perth. Uh, we're hoping to get maybe the 18th team. That would be very nice to come out of the West because we're all uh, dying to have a rugby league uh, franchise out of this side of the country, and that will add a lot, certainly, to the competition. Let's talk about the match. And, of course, Arthur Beetson uh, was honoured uh, in the Dolphins' debut match, and they're all talking about the first recipient of the Arthur Beetson medal. Uh, a fellow by the name of uh, Carfusi, Felice Carfusi, who, for more reports, was the magnet that ignited the Dolphins after they trialled by 12 to 6. 
Yeah, it was a one-man army for a, a, one period there. When you're playing your first game, uh, especially for the first game for, for this chapter, what you want to do as a senior player is you want to try and you want to try and stake a, a claim to what the club is going to represent moving forward. You've got to have a, a you know a really tough, uh, resilient mindset, and, and that's where your senior players have got to have got to really leave their footprint. Um, in games like this, where, where it's the first game for a chapter, and that's what Felice Calfusi did. He he's come from the Melbourne Storm, one of the most successful teams, or the most successful team in the modern era, and both he and a couple of other ex-Melbourne players have really stamped their authority on this side. And and as I said, he someone needed to turn the game, and it's not scoring tries in rugby league that turns the game. It's usually a big defensive effort, and he he levelled a couple of players, really levelled them to the point where a lot of the Roosters players are looking through the corner of their eye to see where Felice Calfusi was. And yeah, so he left a real mark on the on the game. And the Arthur Beetson medals are you know, he's one of our greatest rugby league players of all time. He's what's called an immortal. Uh, he's the first indigenous captain of Australia in rugby league. He might be in any sport if um if I may be wrong with that, but I think he's the first indigenous captain of any sport and an amazing man off the field as well. He represented Redcliffe uh, back in the 60s, won that first premiership there before he went down to Sydney and then came back to Redcliffe in 1981 and captain coached him as well. So, yeah, he's a, bit of, he's a godfather around the Roosters and the Redcliffe clubs. Yeah, no, it, was, it would have been a nice touch, actually. So let's have a look at the Dolphins. Uh, there will be a honeymoon period. There's no question, particularly after the win at the weekend over the Roosters. But pound for pound, how far can they go? Are people saying after the honeymoon period, that they may run out of steam towards the second half of the season? Yeah, depth is their problem, and it's a problem for a lot of clubs, but a new club especially when you've got an open checkbook and an exciting new brand, and they're unable to sign what you class as a blue-chip marquee player. So, you know, if you're North Melbourne, you've got Wayne Carey. Um, you know, if you're, if you're you know, the Swans, you've got you know, Barry Hall or... Yeah, so or yeah, you know, Buddy Franklin. What it, they didn't nail that that marquee player. So um, they got some really good players, senior players. They're going to set some really high standards. Um, but when you get to about round 12, 13, 14, you start dipping into your reserves of players. That's where they might be found a little bit wanting. Now, I may be wrong, and I've been proved wrong plenty of other times. And Wayne Bennett's the coach that can make them believe he can make any player believe better than any coach in any code. Uh, so if they make the finals, it is one of the great um, debut seasons of any club in any sport. Uh, but if they don't make the finals or they finish in the bottom four, it's probably expected. And there's nothing wrong with that as well because you know, you're not expected to win the competition your first year. If you do, it's a bonus. But uh, for the Dolphins... It's a little bit of um, unknown territory, to be quite honest. Mm. And as we let you go, Scott, just one question getting away from the Dolphins. Craig Bellamy, who's been heading into his 21st season as coach of the Melbourne Storm, has just been uh, hes just been enormous. When you look at Wayne Bennett and you look at Craig Bellamy, I think Rugby League has been fortunate to have two outstanding all-time greats of, of coaching. And he's deciding uh, this will be it before he maybe walks away and maybe keeps some sort of capacity or some sort of involvement but as far as full-time senior coach, this is it for Craig Bellamy. Yeah, he's, uh, I think he's, I think he's top three or four greatest coaches he's ever seen, if not top two, to be quite honest. Based on his record, not only based on his record, but based on 
the coaches that he's that he has also developed that have gone on to become coaches or assistant coaches, the players that have then after their careers have gone on to be, you know, quite um, influential in the media or have taken up coaching roles as well. He's had a huge influence on players both on and off the field. He's the most wonderful man you'd ever meet. Both he and his wife, Wendy, uh, when, they were, when he was playing at Canberra Raiders back in the 80s, they were synonymous with taking in new players and making them feel at home in Canberra. And he took that down to Melbourne and has created a real legacy around family. And um, he's a tremendous coach and always strives for excellence. And he always gets that out of his side. Yeah, his side this year, barring injuries, will again... They'll, they'll challenge for the premiership, even though they keep losing all these great players. So, um, yeah, just one of the true gentlemen of the game, but also one of the greatest coaches we've ever seen. Oh, I've got to say, if he went to any code, he would play a role in any coaching team. That's the sort of effect he has on mm. on players who want to reach their, their true potential. Yeah, no, just outstanding. Uh, you're very lucky Bennett and the likes of Bellamy have been around rugby league for a long time and no doubt enhance the product over there. Thanks for joining us, Scotty. You've enhanced certainly our conversation and given us an insight <laughs> into the Dolphins and what's happening in rugby league. Take care. Have a good uh, Monday night and we'll keep in touch. Anytime, mate. See you, mate. See you, mate. That's Scotty Sattler, former NRL star, joining us here on the program. Just before we take a break, for tyre power, buy three and get one free on selected Kumo passenger car. And SUV tyres during tyre power's store-wide super sale. More than 30 domestic clubs, including powerhouses South Melbourne and the controversy-plagued Sydney United 58, want to be part of Football Australia's proposed national second tier men's competition. There's eight teams from Victoria, 10 from New South Wales, seven from Queensland. There's one from Western Australia who have nominated, and that's the Spearwood Dalmatinek, uh, together with Coburn City. Uh, they are jointly together. Coburn City playing the NPL. Uh, Spearwood Dalmatinek are the governing uh, body. Uh, they're the only club from Western Australia who have nominated. As I mentioned, North Melbourne forward Cameron Zerhar will miss the start of the season after scans revealed he suffered a calf strain. In Saturday's practice match against the Western Bulldogs, Max Verstappen won the opening 2023 F1 race in Bahrain overnight. And Australian Olympic hero Peter Boll will headline a star-studded cast on SAS Australia when it airs on free-to-air TV later this year. Boll joins AFLW Premiership player Abby Holmes, world champion boxer Anthony Mundine, Retired NRL star Boyd Courtner, AFL Hall of Famer Jason Akamanis, and a few others as well. Stephanie Rice is also on the show as well. So there you go. Peter Bowl is on SAS Australia, which airs later this year. We're going to take a break. On the other side of the break, let's talk AFL. Craig O'Donoghue is right across it from the West Australian. He joins us next here on Sports Day. Sports Day WA on this Labor Day holiday. Of course, it's a bye this weekend. We've had the practice games in the AFL in the weekend just gone. We have a bit of a rest this week, a chance for the clubs to freshen up their players, ones that have got maybe a niggle here or there, and get ready for round one that uh, is fast approaching. And I thought I'd get a gentleman on from the West Australian who's an experienced uh, sports reporter and columnist and a man that is right across what's happened in the build-up to round one, not this weekend, but the following weekend, is Craig O'Donoghue, and he joins us on the program now. Craig, thanks for your time. No worries, Ben. It's a bit weird not having footy this weekend, isn't it? It is a bit weird. What are your thoughts on the match simulation week and then the one game of supposedly practice scratch match 
a bye, and then into the uh, round one of the competition. What are your thoughts on on the mix in the last four weeks? It feels slow to me. The whole build-up doesn't feel like it's got any momentum about it. I reckon we'd find it more beneficial if we just started playing games and played more games. I think even just watching on, on the weekend, it, it never felt like it mattered too much. Like When West Coast were really poor, you, it shocked you a bit that they were going to still be playing like that after last season, but it didn't actually make their fans angry or, or anything like that because there were no four points on the line. So I think the, the sooner we can get around to playing real games of footy, earlier, the better it will be. And you know, Ed Sheeran's playing at the MCG. They could have played footy at the MCG instead and packed it out for a massive game. So I'd like to see footy being played now, if possible, rather than waiting until you know, later in March. I think it's just a waste of time at the moment. We could get some games going. I was talking to a couple of people around the SEN studios earlier today. With that very point, I said, fellas, it seems like it's been a very, very calm, low-key build-up to the AFL season. And what you've explained just there is exactly the way I feel. And a lot has been said about the NRL getting the jump on the AFL. The NRL round one started this weekend. Of course, it's headline news with Wayne Bennett's Dolphins, the new club in the national competition, beating the Sydney Roosters. And all of a sudden, particularly in states like New South Wales, to a lesser degree, Victoria, and certainly Queensland, the NRL does get a jump on the AFL in the first two or three weeks of the month. It absolutely does, yeah. And especially Sydney playing the grand final last year, you'd love to see the Swans playing in that New South Wales market and taking it on. And Brisbane are going to be a great team this year. And so the Dolphins get the can Wayne Bennett. They just dominate the landscape up there. So it's 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 so important for the, the national competition to be national. We, we know that over here we're going to be dominating the marketplace regardless. But, yeah, those other markets, and if Tassie ever come in as well, we need to be having as much sport as possible. And the myth fact that, that Test Cricket's been going in India for so long, like our cricket summer has been over for what feels like forever now. And we, we, we're, we're all creatures of habit, aren't we? We know that it used to be cricket would go for a certain point and then footy would start. Well, cricket's been over forever in, in this country. So um, whilst it's great to watch the Aussies on the TV, it would be nice if, if there was genuine sport going cricket into, into footy a little bit earlier. Now, your former colleague in Mark Duffield, who, of course, does program the morning program here on SENWA, did an editorial this morning suggesting uh, and putting certainly the West Coast Eagles fans on alert that it's not going to be the season they were hoping for. A lot of West Coast Eagles supporters are hoping that they'll really climb the ladder and maybe even knock on the uh, top eight finals door. Duff thinks otherwise, and I must admit I do as well. And here we read, they've got a couple of injury problems now. Where's Nick Natanui? Josh Rotham's out for a month. They've got their ruck stocks certainly depleted. Where do you see the West Coast Eagles after what you saw in the last couple of weeks? Not getting much better than what they were last year. Obviously, they're not, they're not going to be a two-game, uh, a two-win team because last year included COVID and disasters left, right, and centre. But they couldn't get the ball forward of centre. Thirty-seven inside fifties for a game was just terrible. Um, they they clearly got issues in there midfield in terms of pace and age with players. Andrew Gaff, seven touches to three-quarter time. Tim Kelly, eight touches to three-quarter time. So there's real concerns around them there. And and their best players are still their older players. So uh, I can't see them winning a hell of a lot of games throughout the year. Their their biggest concern for me is they might win their first two and all because they're playing North Melbourne and GWS in those games. And suddenly people might think as an Eagles fan that you're going to be okay. Then you get Frio, Melbourne, Geelong, 
Port Adelaide, Carlton and Richmond, and it can go apart really, really quickly. So um, I think it's going to be a tough year for them. And as much as we, we should be excited about Oscar Allen coming back in and playing good footy for them, and Ruben Jimby was amazing the other day, I do think that overall the age of the squad means that it's going to be a tough year for them as they just try to find their way back into being competitive, which is the thing they have to be at the moment. They've got to be a competitive team again because they started being poor in 2021. They were 2-7 the last nine games of the year in 2021, and then they won two games for last season. So this is a trend that's been going on for a while. Interesting uh, what you're saying regarding the West Coast Eagles. And speaking of West Coast Eagles fans... I think they're missing one thing at the moment, and they reckon that Oscar Allen can simply step into Josh Kennedy's shoes and everything will be okay. Kennedy was such a significant player for them last season and kept them in games and occasionally won them a game. Yeah, he was amazing, wasn't he? He was an extraordinary footballer, and he, he was your get-out clause. Everyone needs a get-out clause where you can just bomb the ball inside 50 and say, someone talented, do something exceptional. And Josh Kennedy would always do that for them, and he did it for so long. Um, Oscar Allen's going to be a really good player, but he's now going to be the man who has to take the best defender every single week because they're going to hone in on him and know that it's, it's, they're going to make sure it's a really difficult task for him. They're going to push him wider so he's not going to get as, as easy shots to goal. So um, it's never easy being a young key forward. We've seen that across the competition. And it's never easy coming back from a year out of the game. He's trying to do that as well. So um, if people have expectations that he's going to dominate this season, they're going, to, they're going to be in for a shock. He's going to be a really good player for a long time. But um, if you're expecting too much of Oscar Allen now, it's a problem. I think that the biggest gap they've got still is trying to find a goal-kicking midfielder. Andrew Gaff, Tim Kelly and Luke Shuey in the past two years have combined for 20 goals. Christian Petrarca kicked 19 last year. So that, that type of player, the, the Jordan Dugowie, Christian Petrarca, Dustin Martin type explosive midfielder who goes forward and kicks goals, West Coast don't have that type of player on their list. So that's the one that they need to find because it will, that will change the way that they play. And um, that's why you go to the draft and try to find some big body blokes like Jinby. Hopefully he can be that sort of a player. Chesser, hopefully he can be that sort of a player. But they're young kids at the moment. It's not easy to find someone who can do that sort of thing. Well, Fremantle, what they've done pre-season has been good. I think things have worked. Nat Fife going up forward has worked. I reckon that the captaincy decision was a good one and the leadership group uh, decision was a good one. So Freo seems to be tracking okay. But I'm reserving my judgment uh, on where they could go in 2023. Some feel they could make it a red-hot go. Others saying they might be where they were last year. Even some are suggesting they might even slip a fraction. Where do you see them, Craig? Yeah, you know, I seem very similar to last year. They get a tougher draw than what they did last year because they made the eight. So um, they're going to get Brisbane twice, Geelong twice, Sydney twice, and the Bulldogs twice. So that's a much tougher draw than what they would have had in the past, and that's just the penalty for finishing higher up the ladder. That happens to everyone when you make the eight. Um, they've still got a lot of players who are in that middle experience sort of line of, of, of thinking. They're not really, they're not what you call an experienced player. They're not what you call a young player, but they're just in that little gap. So I reckon this year is one of those seasons where you want to hold your ground, get that, get the experience into those 30 to 60 sort of game players and then build into having a real crack at it the year after. But I mean, Brayshaw is an absolute gun. We love what he does. We love what Caleb Sarong does. I'm really excited by what Nat Fife could do as a forward. I think he could have a massive year and get you know, more than 50 goals for them um, with the amount of different things that he can do as a footballer. We know he can take marks. We know he can crash packs. 
good at ground level. Uh, his goal kicking seems to improve from an accuracy point of view. So I'm really excited about what he could do there. But will they have the entire depth throughout the, uh, the rest of the list as injuries mount throughout the year, as big games come about to, to win those two or three more games throughout the season? I'm not sure if they're ready for that big step yet to join the Geelongs and Melbournes and Brisbane's of this world. Yeah, Nat Five certainly in the uh, pre-season build-up. Looked very relaxed up forward. And as you mentioned, kicked a couple of goals uh, across his body and looked like he was really enjoying himself uh, out there. Of course, Luke Jackson was the big name pre-season. Commanded a lot of headlines in your newspaper, the West Australian, and right across the country. What can we expect from him? Well, he can do so many things. Like, he's a younger version of Nick Nat Nui in a way with the way that he jumps the footy and things like that. And, um, but he's more of a midfield type when the ball hits the ground, so he'll find more of the ball. So who knows what type of player he actually will become. I don't think even he knows what he's going to become yet. Uh, we know he can compete in the ruck. We know he can compete on the ground. He can take marks. He can kick goals. So he's going to be that person who floats around everywhere throughout games. I think he'll have an impact on where he's needed at the time. So... I think he's going to be something that that everyone's going to enjoy watching, which is uh, which is really important. But I think he, the fact he was a basketballer first, he's got a different range of skills as well. He's just going to give Fremantle a different sort of edge that not many teams have with that height of player who can do things in the air and on the ground. And as I let you go, you were an umpire in a previous life, and a very good one at that, and you coordinated a lot of umpires as well. I had Dean Margetts on my program, and I've spoken to a couple of people involved uh, in the official side of football. Your thoughts on four umpires, four field umpires in the AFL this season? It'll definitely help the forwards if they want to stay at home. They'll, be, they'll get a better view. The field umpire in the, in the, um, in the inside 50 area will, will get a much better look on contests than what they have in the past. And they won't be as fatigued as what they have. There's 10 new guys on the panel. I know three of them personally. Uh, I know what their experience is like. And um, not all of them are going to be ready for the hustle and bustle of AFL football across a 22-week season. So that'll be the challenge for them, just like new players. It's, it's hard to stay up to the entire year. I'll be really curious to see what it does for uh, players with stoppages because the umpires will now back out towards the boundary line, which means Ruckman are facing the boundary line rather than hitting the ball back into the centre corridor. So will that result in more stoppages, more out-of-bounds situations because they're not hitting the ball back to where we want them to be hitting? I'll be curious as to whether that has an impact on the game because I know when that was trialled for a while when I was umpiring and it felt like the ball was constantly being pushed to the boundary line. So I prefer to see an umpiring situation where they're backing to the middle and allowing the Ruckman to hit the ball back to where they want to be and where they're facing. I think that will be one of the areas we'll have to watch. And I need to ask you this one. Apologies. Is the bounce dead? And Dean Margetts and others were suggesting that their up-and-coming umpires were feeling intimidated about bouncing the ball and may have been the reason why some decided not continue as an official umpire. Is it as clean as that? Is it a case of saying, let's eliminate the bounce and we'll get more umpires interested? I don't think it is. I was the worst bouncer in Waffle history. I was a shocker. I <laughs> absolutely killed my career. There is no doubt about that. But I still went for more than 20 years of umpiring. So I was able to work through the challenges that I think bouncing can be fixed by having more coaching involved at a junior level with that and, and really dedicating time to helping people to bounce because it's a skill that needs to be taught and it's not taught well enough for the, for the younger generation. The thing that makes people not want to umpire is because they're getting abused by parents who are just losing the plot in the sidelines. Um, if people just behaved a bit better on the sidelines, it would make it a lot easier. And the kids who are coming in at 
13, 14, 15 and learning their way and don't really have any idea what they're doing, if they can get through to the second or third year and then start understanding what, what's actually required to umpire, they'll have a good career. But when they get abused because they genuinely don't know what they're doing out there, then why would they come back the next season? So parents have to be the ones on the sidelines who realise their kid is learning how to play, the umpire is learning how to umpire and to leave them alone and that will help uh, build the umpiring fraternity throughout the entire country. Outstanding. Lovely talking to you, Craig O'Donoghue. Thanks for your time very much indeed, particularly there uh, giving your vision and your thoughts on the umpiring fraternity and the changes uh, in relation to our officials. Thanks for your time. We'll talk to you again uh, as the AFL season looms and, of course, during the season as well. No worries. Have a good day, everyone. Good on you. Craig O'Donoghue joining us here on Sports Day WA. Well, that's it for the Labor Day holiday edition of uh, Sports Day. Great to have you on the program over the last hour. All thanks to Toolmart, the complete tool centre, who have been serving West Australians in the tool industry for now 45 years. Uh, Ian Peterson and the team there. And also Kia, the award-winning seven-seat Kia Sorento, also part of our naming rights sponsorship together with Toolmart. Before I go, let's have a look at the Perth weather for New Farm Australian through and through. Fairly mild today, wasn't it? It's going to warm up a bit over the next couple of days. For tomorrow as we head back to work, uh, 16 degrees overnight, 33 tomorrow. It will be sunny. Uh, winds will be easterly, 25 to 35 knots, tending south to southwestly uh, along the coast in the afternoon. And there will be gusts to 65 kilometres possible about the hills and foothills in the morning. 33 and a shower or two possible for Wednesday, and then back into the mid-20s later in the week. 27 for Thursday and 27 for Friday. And for those people listening on SEN Spirit 621 in Bunbury in the southwest tomorrow, uh, sunny conditions, the top of 30 degrees will dip to 13 tonight. Then on Wednesday, likewise, a shower or two in 28. 27 for Thursday and 26 degrees for Friday. So as I mentioned, that's been Sports Day WA. Hope you've enjoyed it as we build up to the start of the AFL season. Of course, you'll be able to hear every AFL game this season here on SENWA. And looking forward to bringing everybody uh, the coverage of the Eagles and Dockers matches throughout Western Australia. And I'll be joined at the microphone with Scotty Cummings. So I'm looking forward to that. Thanks to Jimmy. Thanks to Lee for assisting with the Sports Day program on this holiday Monday. I'll catch you again tomorrow from 5.